we are looking at this passage in Mark chapter 3, and we are focusing particularly on verse 18. Now, the Nobel Prizes uh, are currently being dished out in Sweden. I think we have the prize for economics out tomorrow. We had one out on Friday, the Nobel Prize for Peace. And these prizes are apparently for people who have conferred the greatest benefit to mankind. One of the winners this year is the Canadian scientist Donna Strickland. Uh, she won the prize for physics. She is only the third woman in history to win that prize. And I was very interested to hear what she said when she won this prize. She, she said this. Uh, she says, it's hard for me to take it in right now, but I'm trying to enjoy it. It is kind of mind-boggling. Uh, it's not like I was thinking, oh, somebody should give me a Nobel Prize. It is sort of surreal. And as I heard her interview, it struck me that there was something refreshing about her. Uh, in a world where most people feel they deserve a red carpet and have a sense of entitlement, uh, it is refreshing to hear uh, a genius, <laughs> Donald Strickland, uh, see herself actually as a nobody, and she doesn't even think she perhaps deserved the prize. And yet, if you know anything about what she won for, uh, you realize that actually she deserves the Nobel Award. Uh, it's been clearly given to Donna because she's a genius in her field. Uh, she deserves to be recognized. Uh, the Nobel Committee gave her the physics prize actually for developing a laser technology that is now used uh, today in millions of corrective eye surgeries. Uh, so some of you who've had such a high surgery in the past have probably benefited from Donna's invention with her colleague. So far from being Donna being a nobody, uh, she's actually truly a somebody. But imagine with me for a minute if the prize was given to Donna, not because she was a genius, but simply because the Nobel Prize Committee liked her. Imagine if that's why they gave her the prize. What would people say? I think we would all be up in arms, wouldn't we? We would say it's not a prize anymore, it's a fix. Uh, in our society, to be recognized publicly in such a way, it must be earned. Recognition in our society must be earned. The most valued people in our society are people who have proven themselves in a clear way. People who are worthy of the public's attention and adoration. So we think of celebrities. You might doubt whether some of the celebrities approve themselves. Some seem to be just famous for being famous. But, you know, most celebrities have earned something, either in music or, or, or film or something. We think of geniuses that are, that are valued by society, like Mrs. Uh, Donna. We think of the rich that have excelled in, their, in acquiring vast tons of wealth. These are the somebodies, aren't they? Because they have proven themselves in some area of life. But the problem is this. Not all of us can be loved and honored in equal measure. Only certain people can be somebody. If everybody was a somebody, then we are nobody. But society is such that only the few can be somebody. But even if 
we become somebody today, in the end, it never lasts, does it? It never lasts being a somebody. I think of the great stars of cinema and music. Are those lives we secretly admire or admired in the past? Where are some of the people you knew when you were growing up? Where are they now? Well, most of them probably are dead. And some of them probably are in nursing homes in Hollywood somewhere and with only memories to comfort them. Adoring fans often lose interest when the vigor of youth can no longer be sustained by lotions and surgery. It's very interesting seeing some of the snippets from Tina Turner's biography. She's a shadow of what she once were at the height of her powers. Everybody's forgotten about her, so a memoir now is out. You see, in the end, our pursuit to be a somebody can never satisfy us. We all know this, actually. So deep down in our hearts, we long to be loved just as we are. We long to be loved. What we would love to be is to be loved just as a nobody. And the good news of the Bible is that there is a true somebody who loves us, nobodies. The all-powerful and loving God of the Bible who created us. And this God does not love us from a distance. No, he has reached out to us in Jesus so that we can find our significance and our purpose in him and him alone. Now, we are currently studying the choice of the 12 disciples in Mark chapter 3, verse 13 to 19, which Brother Michael read for us. And when you scan that list, as Brother Michael scanned it, the thing that stands out to you most is that these men are nobodies, really, all of them. They are men of no worldly reputation. We could pick any of them and we could demonstrate that. Because, you see, as you look at the choice of the twelve, it teaches us that Jesus has not come to call the very cleverest people, the geniuses. No, Jesus has come to call nobodies. Jesus has come for nobodies. And this evening, I want us to learn this truth, and I want us to look at it as we've been going through these names. This time, I want to focus on that. When we looked at Peter, we said Jesus has come for the undeserving, and we, we looked at what that meant. This morning, we saw that Jesus has come for outsiders, as we started Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector. Well, now, I want us to look at three disciples mentioned here that really shows us that Jesus has come for nobodies. Let's read verse 18. We've been reading through those. In verse 16 it says, He appointed the twelve, and then we are given some of the twelve. Then he gets to verse 18, it says this, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew. Bartholomew is the first nobody I want to look at this evening. Then you go, Matthew there, you have Thomas, and then you have James, the second nobody I want us to look at, the son of Alphaeus. And then we have Tadeus, and Simon the Cananean. We'll look at the death as the third person listed here. These three nobodies that are given here, Bartholomew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Tadeus. I imagine with me for a minute that you are a new actor and you are auditioning 
to play one of the 12 disciples in a Hollywood blockbuster directed by Mr. Spielberg. Okay? Let me ask you, which character would you want to play? Peter, perhaps, are the most famous of the 12. You are a new actor, you need a wonderful character, perhaps Peter. Uh, his part would have loads of screen time, uh, loads of great lines, certainly if it's based on Mark. Thomas, perhaps, would be a good option, I think. Would be a good one as an actor. You would be certainly in two memorable scenes. One doubting Jesus there, you know. And then another one there, bowing down to Jesus. My Lord and my God, Thomas said to him. I think you would also be pleased to play, I think, the complicated Judas Iscariot. You're just an actor, so you know him. Uh, you'd be happy to play that because you get to have a few lines from Judas and, you know, carry the money bag around. And you get to have great facial expressions. I thought Judas must have had a few. And you have a memorable exit, uh, by all accounts. And so, you know you've got these options. So while you're thinking through your exciting options, you get a call from Mr. Spielberg. He says he has decided you actually play Bartholomew. And so, you are excited. Oh, Bartholomew, oh, I don't know who he is. I can't remember what he's famous for. But he's one of the 12, so this part must be good. And so off you go. You go pick up your Bible. Uh, you, be, you attend church, but you don't know who he is. So you pick up your Bible. Uh, you start looking. And immediately you land on our text this evening. The text we read, Andrew and Philip. And there it is. And Bartholomew there on the list. And then you start searching again in your Bible. And as you search again, you find him again at Matthew chapter 10, verse 3. You also find him on Luke chapter 6, verse 14. And again, you find him on Acts chapter 1, verse 13. But as you are scanning these reverses, you realize that it doesn't take long for your happiness to evaporate. Because you are shocked to discover there's no other mention in, except in those four places of Bartholomew. So you're thinking to yourself, what's going on here? I mean, this is a character I've been told to play. And so what you do when you attend the local church, and what you do is you call your pastor, and you say, is there any more Bartholomew in my Bible? I've only got these four places. And the, the pastor first starts off by saying, telling you, no, sorry, there's no more. But then he adds... Some people think Nathaniel in John chapter 1, verse 35 to 51 may be Bartholomew. In fact, he might even tell you that in books, chapters have been written just on that premise. So you're asking, why do people think that? Well, he says, apparently, some people say Nathaniel was known to Jesus and yet is not listed among the twelve. So perhaps, someone might say, Bartholomew's surname must be Nathaniel. <laughs> and you say, is that it? Because, yeah. But the pastor now reminds you, it is just a guess. But it's, people have been guessing that since the ninth century. They have been calling Bartholomew Nathaniel. Based on that, it might be a good guess. Only heaven will tell. So the good pastor tells you, look, Jesus had 70 disciples. Jesus had Joseph of Arimathea. Jesus had Nicodemus. There are many people that follow Jesus. Some we know, some we don't. 
but none of them meant the twelve. So it is possible here, actually, that Bartholomew is not, it, Nathaniel is not Bartholomew. A, a good guess would simply be that Bartholomew is just Bartholomew. In these four places, he is a nobody without a footnote in church history. And the pastor encouraged you to realize that if Bartholomew had a Twitter account today, it would probably have no followers. He's a nobody. And so now you're sitting there, you're thinking, oh, this is not good, is it? <laughs> what could have been a career-defining opportunity in this movie turns out to be nothing more than playing an extra. You're just an extra, you know. If you're Bartholomew, you're not doing anything. You're just there. Well, your spouse tells you, look, there's no point sulking. <laughs> Get in touch with Mr. Spielberg. And tell him, look, you want another man to play. And so you get on the phone, you, you call him up, and he says, yeah, is there someone else I can play? Well, he says, yes, James, son of Alphaeus. Well, that sounds interesting, son of somebody. He must be famous, isn't that? Yeah, he must be famous. So you remember that he's mentioned in verse 18. Look at verse 18 there. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus. So this seems like a, like a man worth playing. You know, it's quite interesting. So you, go, you dig deeper. But the more you dig deeper, you realize actually this James is easy to confuse with other Jameses. Uh, sometimes people mistake him for James the first martyr. John's brother, do you see him in verse, uh, in verse 16, uh, verse 17? Verse 16 says, He appointed the twelve Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and the first James, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. So James is actually very famous, Is James. He's not your James. This other James is James, the, the first martyr in the church. Your James is not known for that. And sometimes people confuse your James with another James. James, the brother of Jesus. The James we meet in Acts is sometimes called James the Elder. In fact, it turns out that not only is your James confused with others, <laughs> the Bible is clear that your James is so overshadowed by other disciples that later on you discover in Mark 15 verse 40, that your James is actually called James the Younger. So you flick over there uh, in chapter, in Mark chapter 15, verse 40, it says this, there were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the Younger and of Joseph, Joseph and Salome. You're wondering, why is my James called James the Younger? Well, the original word for younger can mean less, uh, which probably means uh, he was younger in age, or perhaps in stature, or it might simply be that he was less well-known compared to the other two Jameses that you wished you could play. So now you're thinking to yourself, well, <laughs> this guy is just another nobody. That's it. I've had enough. Uh, I've got to call Mr. Spielberg and tell him, I need a man that I can at least 
play one line. And I'll do with that. If, there's no one, if I'm just going to be there and not say anything, I may as well not play anything. So you go in, and you call him up, and, uh, and he says, yeah, do you have a name? He says, yeah. I think this time I'll give you Tadeus. That's the only person I've got left. And I'll be blunt with you, Tadeus is a nobody. But he's all I got. But when you search for Tadeus, you won't find any lines from him in the Bible. But try his other name. His other name is Judas, son of James. And make sure you look up John, verse 14, to verse 21 to verse 23. At that point, perhaps Mr. Spielberg has had a bit of Bible reading himself. So you go on to John 14, verse 21 to verse 23. And he says this. Whoever, Jesus is speaking, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Verse 22 says, Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Verse 23 says, Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. But you have one line now from this man called Judas, who is actually Tadeus. And you have this line from him that makes it clear that there's something that you can play there. And so you are content. The line is yours in the movie. He's a nobody, just like Bartholomew and James, but at least you say something in the film. I just need, you say to yourself, to make it memorable. So you, you now have a character, and most importantly, your search for these disciples has taught you and everyone else you know an important theological lesson. Jesus has come for nobody. And most people want their organizations to have superstars. But the kingdom of God has come for nobody. For people like Tadeus, for people like Bartholomew, for people like James, the son of Alphaeus. The choice of this nobody, you see, is a picture of Jesus' mission. Jesus is the extraordinary God who has become a nobody by himself becoming a man. And what began at the incarnation, what the, the, the coming of God in the world at the incarnation of the nobody, culminates on the cross. On the cross, God the Son died as a nobody. For us, nobodies. So that you, who is a nobody, can become somebody in him. You see, the good news of Jesus is that if you're trusting in Jesus... God not only saves you from sin, but he now shares his very life with you. That's what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. Let me read this for you. Colossians 2, verse 9 to 10 says this, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, that is Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. When we read what Paul is saying in Colossians, Paul is saying, nobody is who trusts in Jesus and now plugged to the amazing life of God. 
Jesus now, you may be a nobody, yes, but Jesus now lives in you. And because he lives in you, you live in God. And therefore, the divine life is flowing through you in Christ. And this changes everything. You see, this year I've read a lot of desired news stories. But two of them stand out for me. The first story is about an Oxford graduate uh, I read was about an Oxford graduate who sued Oxford University for one million pounds because he did not get a first class degree. The man's name is Faiz Sadiq. He, He claims he was a victim of poor teaching that cost him the chance of a lucrative legal career. So he sued them for a million pounds. The second story I read which struck me relates to a woman who earlier this year was charged with fatally shooting her boyfriend. Why was she charged for that? Well, she was shooting, she shoot her, she was shooting her boyfriend while, she, while the whole thing was being filmed on YouTube. And the boyfriend had decided that they would like to do a great stunt whereby the boyfriend holds a book in front of his chest, a thick book, one of those, you know, nice Puritan books, I would imagine, very thick. And then the woman stands there with a gun next to the book, a real loaded gun, and shoots it. But clearly the couple hadn't realized that the bullet could travel through the book. And they had filmed this on YouTube, and the man died. I thought about those two stories, they stood out for me, because... They illustrate a growing trend, what I would say, a growing madness in our society. To be somebody at any cost. People in our society, now more than at any time in history, because of the power of technology, they are now going to extreme lengths to be famous. Just a report released two weeks, last week in fact, showed that the number of deaths from selfies has skyrocketed, you know, these photos you take. But the number of extreme deaths, where you go to an extreme cliff or somewhere else and you take it, and people are dying over that. Not only do we see things more like that, but we have now programs such as Love Island, isn't it? Where a lot of people just go there for these erotic relationships and to be filmed so that they can just be famous. The protest movement is what? It's growing throughout the world. Why is it growing? Because people actually themselves want to be famous. They want to show they have a voice. There is a deep hunger now in our society to define yourself, to stand out, to be news. Well, the good news of the Bible is that we do not have to live like this. You see, because God is already offering us. What we are looking for now is identity. But God in Christ has already offered us a new amazing identity in Jesus. All of us around the world, we recognize we are nobodies and we are searching to become a somebody. But God says, look, what you are looking for is available for you in Christ. If you trust in Jesus, it is actually okay to be a nobody in this world. Because you are now somebody in God. The very life of God flows through you. And that brings tremendous relief and tremendous freedom and tremendous peace. Because you see, if you're a Christian this evening, you are free to live a life as a nobody. You don't have to be the most 
beautiful and fashionable person in the workplace. You don't have to have the coolest pavement on your street. You don't have to chase a relationship with the opposite sex so that you can get married and perhaps feel that there is somebody who really can put up with me. You don't have to have the cleverest kid in the school. You don't have to chase a lucrative career to the point of even destroying your family. All of these temptations are endemic to many followers of Jesus. Because we have succumbed to the culture we live in. The big danger now in our culture is to be somebody. That's what society wants us to be. But here we see that our identity does not lie in these things. No, it lies in Christ. The gospel has freed us from following the world. You are free not to have it all, friends. Because, well, you already do have it in Jesus. In Christ, you are already a somebody. Because Jesus came for you. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to verse 28. It says this, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. I think Paul is reminding us, if we are in Christ, we are now somebody. We don't have to be to pursue these worldly things. And because we are now somebody in Jesus, it's amazing that anything we do, no matter how boring, no matter how ordinary, anything we do in our ordinary lives now has eternity stamped on it. And that's why Paul writing to the church of Colossus says this, in Colossians 3 verse 17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. And he makes the same point to the church at Corinth. He says, do everything to what? To the glory of God. I think it's 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. The Bible is saying, look friends, the Christian life is not about doing big things but about offering your life and allowing Jesus to work through the daily boring things of your daily life. But doing them for Christ. And as I look out here, I see some of you are doing this already in your lives. You are not trying to do things to be seen. You are serving God and His church in the background. Some are spending time cleaning the church. The church is cleaned. Flowers are arranged. Boring things, the garden is maintained, the church building is kept in good order, and children are being taught ordinary boring stuff. And yet God's glory is shining through them. They have eternity stamped on it. Some of you are quietly meeting up with people on the margins of church life to encourage them in their walk with Christ. 
You are doing this with no applause. Some of you are making great effort to be at meetings where no one is present. Well, like this one. Well, we are present. But you know what I mean. At meetings where you don't get applause, at meetings sometimes that you may personally sometimes find that then there's nothing extraordinary happening, but you are there. Why? Because you know Jesus is in the ordinary. And so you are quietly offering up your lives to him through there. You see, offering up your ordinary lives for Jesus in this way is not easy. It is costly to us. It involves dying to ourselves. The danger we all face is to only do things that are popular, where we will be applauded. It costs us to choose obscurity for Jesus, not applause. Does this describe you? You, you are doing things in an obscure way for Christ alone. And it is costing you perhaps in different ways. Well, beloved, let this passage encourage you. Continue serving Jesus as a nobody. Because it is His grace at work in you. Precisely, you are more like Jesus when you serve Him as a nobody. Because Jesus came as a nobody to serve nobodies. Only the grace of Christ can infuse you to serve in obscurity. But then there are some of us who know that Jesus has come for nobody. But sadly, that is where we stop. There are many, even in our fellowship, uh, who forget that Jesus has come to work through nobodies. They know Jesus has come for nobodies, but they stop there. They are quite happy that Jesus has served them as a nobody, but they do not want Jesus to transform their ordinary assets and activities for his glory. And often some of us delight in pitying ourselves. We take great pride in reminding ourselves just how much of a nobody we are. Oh, I am just a nobody. I have no friends. I'm always unwell. I have no education. I am too young. I am too old. What have I got to offer the Lord? The problem, friends, is that that attitude shows that you are not going to Jesus and saying, Lord, I am not as young as I used to be, so what do you want me to do for your glory now? You are not going to God and saying, Lord, I do not have a job with a lot of time, but I can spare an hour to visit an elderly person in the church, so empower me to do that. You, you are not saying, Lord, all I have is a roof over my head, that simple home. I have nothing. Please, Lord, help me to use it as an open door for others. Perhaps through a cup of tea, I may share Jesus with others. You see, friends, some of us seem unable to pray such obvious prayers. We are just too content to plead that we are nobodies and we have nothing to offer. Beloved, is that you? Are you stealing from the Lord in some way because you are too quick to plead you are a nobody? Well, if it is, take a look at Bartholomew, Thaddeus, and James. I certainly did. By Jesus choosing these three, and we can go back throughout church history. Well, 
Bible history you might say. We met Tola and a number of other judges in the, in the judges. God has always delighted in using nobodies. And here Jesus has put the rug from underneath our feet. Because if he can use them uh, in their ordinary way, I mean, what ex- we have on that day, we have no excuse. <laughs> it's that simple. I would say, what is your excuse? Write it down, put it next to these nobodies. So this evening, if you are in that category, I just want to encourage you to come to our loving Savior who has purchased you with his own precious blood. Surrender your ordinary life to him. Ask our Lord to help you become intentional about serving him, not by waiting for a perfect circumstance, but allow him to work in ordinary ways through your very nobody-like or ordinary life. And make that as a prayer for this church as well. We shouldn't wait until we're a certain size to do things. We should be asking, Lord, what do you want as a church, as a nobody church, to do for your glory? But if you find that you have no desire to allow the grace of Jesus for nobody to work in your life, if we find that even among our members, there are many who are not willing to work in this way, then we should never be afraid, friends, to say, Does the life of Jesus actually flow through us? Are we really converted? Because you see, one of the marks that we truly belong to Jesus is that we are growing in becoming like Jesus. And it seems to me, reading the scriptures, the power of God flows like a mighty current when we willingly admit we are nobodies and allow him to work in and through us. When we come to the end of ourselves, Jesus is ever willing, ever willing to work through our weakness. Because when we are weak, he is strong. And so we must come to him and ask him to work in our situation. Because if we're not doing that, if our heart is set on finding meaning and purpose on things of this world, if we are Forever our hearts, our ears are tuned to the narrative of the world. If we were chasing the things of this world, you know, every time I go out for a jog, well, not recently, I have to hide, but every time I go for a walk, I'm struck when I see quite a lot of development. I'm sidetracking here. But I'm struck when I see a lot of developments. People are, what are doing what I call decorating their tombs. By that I mean they are doing great work on their pavements. They are doing great work on extending this, extending that. That is life for them. But then, friends, as believers, we look at that and see these things are passing away. Investing in these things is decorating the tomb. Why do I say that? Because this world is a tomb. It's all due to be burned and go. And so if we really love the Lord, if we belong to him, let us recognize that God wants to use us for his glory. Not by doing something spectacular, but in our boring daily lives. Wherever God has placed you, at work, in the fellowship, wherever you may find yourself, at the hospital, you live, you do whatever you're doing there for the Lord. And that brings glory to his name. That has eternity stamped on it. May the Lord enable us to Live out this amazing grace to nobodies and offer up our lives for his service. Amen.